Hey, welcome to Moraine Valley Church. We're really glad that you're with us uh, this morning. And, um, and, and uh, I wanted to use our, our time uh, today uh, as we kind of bridge, uh, we, we just finished kind of four weeks of looking at uh, just the misfit story of Christmas. Not that it doesn't fit in God's expectations or his plans, it fits perfectly there. It just doesn't fit great with our expectations or our plans and, and how God does that and, and what it looked like. And, and as we go into January, we will be uh, going into a series just uh, aligning our lives to uh, what it means to follow Jesus uh, and who he is and what he does and how we can be in step with, with him and his spirit. Uh, and and as, as we bridge in that gap, this morning I just wanted us to uh, kind of take some time and, and think through uh, and, and let Paul be our teacher of, of just our prayer lives. And so we're going to look at that this morning. But uh, uh, as we launch in a show of hands, how many of you have New Year's resolutions for next year? That's a, that's a hopeful seven, I think. So good luck, guys. I hope it works. We can grab a burger somewhere on the 20th when you've given up all hope, right? Uh, no, for, for a lot of people, right, it might be working out or weight loss. Maybe it's something to do with your finances or even just your speed or pace of life uh, of just slowing down. Um, how about another show of hands? How many of you realize that you never do your New Year's resolution, so you've just given up this year? All right. Well, we'll pray for you as well, right? Right? You, you've already made the decision you're not going to change anything right, in this next year, so you're not even going to pretend to change anything in the new year, right? Uh, so in some ways, uh, in this room, we've either decided that uh, against all hope, we're just going to fail again, uh, or you've decided that you're just not even going to try, and you're, you're going to, uh, you know, win at not trying uh, because you know you'll fail. So that's where we're at, right? Uh, no, as we go into the new year, uh, I'm, I'm not against New Year's resolutions. I've, I've made a couple. Uh, I, I kind of have, uh, you know, it, again, there's nothing really dramatically in the, uh, in, the, in the spiritual realm that shifts at midnight tonight. Uh, so, so there's nothing really new about tomorrow than what there is today, but there is a sense in the new year, just as there is in spring or when the seasons change, there, there's, a, there's a shift in, in, in transition. There's just something about uh, the new year that brings this, uh, the, uh, a newness. And so what we want to talk about today is I want to ask us in 2024 not to uh, start the new year aiming to reach some goal or habit or trend, and maybe that's out there for you, uh, but starting the new year by aligning our souls to the Father. Uh, now, I want to uh, uh, have us stand as I read through Colossians chapter 1. Paul writes to the Colossians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who are at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven of which you have previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the word, world, also it is bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit 
And for this reason, we also, since the day we heard about it, have not stopped praying for you. Uh, Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, would you uh, in us, God put us in in a, a, a school of prayer where Paul can teach us how to be praying, how to be prayed over, how to be praying for other people. Uh, Father, in all of this, would you align our soul to you? Uh, Would we, uh, of all the things we care about that aren't of you, God, would you take those away? Uh, Of all the things we get passionate about that you could care less about, Lord, would you center all that on you? Uh, God, the things that are of you uh, that are missing in us, would you you bring us into that and, and align us to who you are so we could be citizens of your kingdom gathered around the throne of King Jesus uh, walking in step with the Spirit as we aim to please you, God our Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. In, in the book of Colossians, uh, Paul is writing to this letter, uh, sorry, is writing a letter to this church. It seems, as you read through the whole letter, that these are uh, people who are believers, yet live in a world, right? And so this isn't unique to them. It's kind of what's going on everywhere. But there's something unique about the church in Colossae uh, where it seems like they've gravitated towards a lot of things that aren't Jesus, Uh, that they're caring about things that aren't him, that they're getting pulled in ways that aren't him. They're being taught things that aren't him. And so Paul, if you've read through the book of Colossians, and maybe this is a good week to do it, uh, this is, it's one of my favorite letters of Paul. Now, if you're with me long enough, I'll probably say that about every one of Paul's letters. But, uh, but with Colossians, there's something about it because it reminds us, it, it centers everything we are back to Jesus. And it reminds us who he is and what he's done. It reminds us who we are because of who he is. And what I want us to do is this. He's praying over a church he loves and wants to see them do well. And before he challenges them and confronts them on things they need to hear get this, before he challenges and confronts the church on things they need to hear, he starts in prayer. And I want us to get there because in the culture we live in, uh, especially in the church culture that is prevalent in the world that we are used to, uh, critiquing the church is pretty common. If you were to go to Barnes & Noble, we were just there this last week, and you were to go to the religious section, uh, from what I was reading, about half of the church uh, books were just books about what the church isn't doing right, as though I need help seeing that, right? And, and often what we fail to do before we jump in and point out everything that's wrong is to begin in prayer, is to be praying over our brothers and sisters, be praying over the people that we are in fellowship with, to be praying over the people in this room that we deeply love and care for is just to be praying over them. Uh, And so as we jump into this letter, I want us to begin the way Paul begins, in prayer. We need to become people who are better at starting everything and praying for each other. Now, I I will admit this up front, and maybe you've noticed it in me if we've been in settings. My first reaction is rarely in a group of people is just to start in prayer. Uh, for me, and it's not like it's right or wrong, I'm, I, it's an area I need to grow in, uh, but, but I, I, I prefer to pray, uh, I, I can, I, I be, I'm more focused, I, I feel called to pray by myself. Now that doesn't mean that you're not supposed to pray, but we should be praying, I'm saying God's stretching me in these ways, but usually if I'm in a large group, my first thought isn't, 
hey, we should be praying. And I've had people say, how come we didn't pray? And it's like, I don't, because you didn't say anything. I, I don't know. I just, I, I forgot, you know. Um, and a lot of times as we're in these prayer moments, whether you feel, uh, you know, led like you can't pray unless there's a room full of people or whether you can't pray if there's a room full of people, you, you can on both. And sometimes those of us that are led to pray more kind of, uh, you know, as Jesus gives that language, like in the quiet place, right? Uh, there's something that God does that stretches us when we pray in a group of people. And for those of you that are led to always be praying in groups of people, there's something God does uniquely when he brings us just to that quiet place. And so in both ways, I want to challenge us, uh, not just are we praying or how are we praying, I want us to talk about are we, how, how do we pray for each other? Uh, specifically in the church, specifically over the Christian brothers and sisters that are sitting around us, the people around you need you to be constantly in prayer of God, right? I know this, my, my wife, Ray, needs me. Now, she wouldn't say, Don, I need you to be praying more, right? But the kind of husband she needs is a praying husband. Someone who is praying for her, someone who's constantly aligning my heart to God, what my kids need, though they may never ask for it or know it, they need me to be a praying father, right? The people I work with need me to be a praying person. The, uh, the church community that I'm a part of, you need me, and I'm not saying because of my position, what I do, because we need to be a part of a praying church. My neighborhood needs me to be praying for them. Do you get what I'm saying? And so there's something when we look at, men. The, the world around us needs the light to be light. And it's hard to be light if we're not in line with who God is and where he's at. Prayer moves us in that direction. But the people around you also need you to be caring enough for them to pray for them. That there's part of when we love God, we love our neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you'd be praying for your neighbors. And some of us have had the same neighbors for 20 years and still don't know their names. And then how are we praying for people? How are we lifting people up? And maybe it comes down to this, and I've loved, uh, church history has a lot to teach us on prayer, is a lot of times we feel like prayer, right? And I'm just quoting people who've come before me. A lot of times we feel like prayer is the way to get what we want instead of prayer being the thing that we want. Is it just want to be before the Father? It's, it's David's uh, prayer in Psalm 27 where he says, this one thing I ask and that I would seek that I could just dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I just want to be with him. I want to be in his presence. I want to be talking with him. I want to be in commune with him. And, and some of us, right, maybe your Bible study skills uh, are, are at a uh, doctorate level because you know uh, Greek nuances and tenses and you've learned what this means and you probably know who wrote the book of Hebrews. No one else does, but you do, right? You figured it out. And so we've got Bible knowledge through the roof, but our prayer life suffers. And I'm not saying either or, I'm saying both and. Is there something about what happens when we pray, specifically praying for people? Intercessory prayer, you may know it. I want to challenge us to be a church in 2024 that prays for people around us, lives, situations, and their spiritual maturity. Next week, a week from tomorrow on January 8th, I want to invite us all to join together for 21 days of prayer. In that time, we will be praying for each other, uh, we will be praying for ourselves. We will be praying for the world. We will be praying for our church. We will be praying for our neighbors and our community. We will be asking God, God, what do you want from us and what do you want in us? And what do you want out of us? 
Uh, just as a thought experiment, I'd love for you uh, to, whether it's a note on your phone or whether you got a piece of paper, uh, is, is to come up with a list, right? Uh, and the list is going to look something like this. At the top of it, if you could just write your name, not, I know some of you are funny and you're going to literally write your name and no one's going to laugh, just so you know, right? Right? So I would put Don Kaufman, and then, and then make a list of, of people you are close with. If you're part of a small group, uh, if you are part of a Bible study, if you've been walking with the same people for a long time, maybe this is those. But five to ten people who you're like, these are, these are Christ followers uh, who I need to be praying more for than what I currently do. Right? Uh, so list their names out. Think about them. And then below that... Uh, I'd love for you to start making a list of uh, just people you know that are lost, people that are disconnected from Christ and community, uh, people that are far from the Lord uh, that you could be praying over in this next year. Uh, you don't need to do all this right here in service, but I think it'll be helpful as we go through this book, or sorry, through these first 14 verses, if you've got some names in front of you of people you know you need to be praying these things for. And so as we go through this, uh, I would love for you to have tangible names with real people attached to them that you could be praying these things for as we go. I want us to look at these names as we work through Paul's opening letter to the church in Colossae. As he prays over them, would we become people who are praying over the people around us? And as we work through this scripture, would you make notes as to what it would look like to pray like this for yourself, that you would be this kind of person? That you would pray for these things over the list of names that are there for you, that you would be the kind of person who, like Paul prays for the church, you would be praying over them. So it's not just about receiving this prayer from Paul, it's about uh, uh, learning to pray like Paul over people who are following Christ around you, and for the lost people around you. Because as we'll read through here, what most people need is for us to be praying these kinds of prayers. And so as we pray in this way, we're asking God, we're trusting him, we're believing him uh, that he can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And there's power that happens when we start aligning our prayer life to the things that God wants. And so we're going to read through this Colossians chapter 1. Once we get to verse 9, we'll slow down and kind of look at what's being prayed over. But Paul starts in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, by introducing himself and his buddy Timothy. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who are at Colossae, right? There's the church in this city, Colossae, and that's who we're praying for. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And then he goes in. He says, we give Thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now, sometimes if you've read through <clears throat> Paul's letters or any of the New Testament letters, we just assume that this is a nice way to start a good letter. Instead of reading it as Paul informing the church, we've, we can't stop praying for you. That you are on the forefront of our prayers. That every time we go to the Father, we think of you often. How many of you start your text messages off that way, right? Uh, so, so not just to breeze past this as a biblical introduction to a, uh, you know, a Pauline epistle and the letter of Colossae. No, no, no. To slow down and actually hear Paul informing a church going through a persecuted situation under the Roman Empire that he gives thanks to God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, and he's always praying for them. 
He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints or all of God's people, think about this. When is the last time you made it a point to let people know how thankful you are for their faith in Jesus and thankful for the way that they love other people? Got quiet. Maybe think about it this way. When's the last time that your faith in Jesus and your love for other people caused someone to let you know how thankful they were for you? What I want us to hear and read is not like a guilt trip of, oh, man, i got to put that on my checklist for 2024. No, no, no. But just to be reminded, there's something in the spiritual nature and the spiritual family of the way Paul connects with the church and the church is connected with each other. To be reminded, it is good to know that people are praying for you. It's good to know that people are seeing in you and hearing things about you that aren't just what you need to fix and what you need to get better, that they're paying attention to the spiritual growth and maturity that you're experiencing and that you're paying attention to the movement of God in people's life and thanking them for it rather than pointing out all the stuff that we're not doing right. You get the difference. Now, if you keep reading the book of Colossians, Paul's going to point out some stuff they're not doing right. But he starts it off by letting them know what we've heard about you is that your faith in Jesus and your love for people is unbelievable. He says, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also as it's bearing fruit and increasing, right? He's saying there's good news of Jesus. It's going everywhere and we know it's come to you and it's bearing fruit and it's increasing even as it's been doing in you also, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. And what he reminds them is what you are experiencing. Listen, church, what we are experiencing here is what the church at large is experiencing around the world. The good news of Jesus is working. It's not broken. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. He's doing fine. Remember, he told Peter, the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. We're good. Everything's good. And what he's reminding them is that gospel that is spreading and it's growing and it's radically impacting people's lives and it's transforming them out of their darkness into light and bringing their dead lives back alive with Christ. That gospel that's going around the world, you've seen it in your church. And we need reminded. He says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, right? He points to this person who brought the gospel to Colossae, our fellow, our beloved fellow servant who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the spirit. Get it? It's like we know people that know you and when they talk about you, all they talk about is love in the spirit of God. It's just a different way of talking about church life. It's a different way of how we talk about each other, how we think about each other, how we relate to each other. What do people uh, uh, that, uh, you know, when you've got a cousin that goes to some other church, you're like, hey, I know I heard they got that new worship guy. Oh, you go to that one, oh, you go to that, that big church up on the north side, right? And, and we'll talk about churches that way. When's the last time that we talked about churches this way? Man, I, I heard what you guys are doing in your community. It's unbelievable to see the way God's faithfulness is showing up in the way you love your neighbors. 
When you hear and talk about a church, when someone talks about your church and they say, man, I love what we're hearing about what God's doing there. Do you get the difference in the spirit of the way Paul's praying in here? As he starts off, man, just I, all I'm, I, I, love, I love the way Paul loves the way they're loving each other. I love the way Paul talks about the faith that they've got in Christ and points it out and brings it. Uh, listen, this morning, Paul is going to be our prayer professor. Uh, the way he prays, uh, instead of learning what we need to be prayed over, I would love for us to be uh, thinking of how we could start praying for other people. Oftentimes we want to pray for people we love that are following Jesus, but we don't have direction on how to pray for them. I want us to use Paul as a model for that. Paul continues on to pray over the people, and I want us to read this and give us a framework for how we can start praying for the people around us. And the first one is this. I would love for us to pray that the people around you will be filled with knowing what God wants. That you've got someone praying for you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm praying on behalf of the Lord, or on behalf of you. I'm, I'm praying to God, the Father, the creator of everything, right? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of, I'm praying, I'm praying to God, that God, over all, in all, through all, never began, never end. I'm praying to him that you would know what he wants. The power of the knowledge of the will of God, that it would be filled in you, that you wouldn't be trying to figure out what you think, you would be so consumed. Who cares what I think? I want to know what God thinks. Who cares what I want? I want to know what God wants. Who cares about my opinions? I want to care about God's truth, right? Is that we'd be praying for each other, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And it seems good. This may even seem obvious, but do we pray for others this way? Uh, oftentimes, we can be good at reactive prayers, right? What I mean is, God, something is messed up, or I messed something up. Could you do something about it? Or something happened and I need you to move? And God tells us that we can pray those prayers. That's not wrong, but sometimes it's the only prayer we got. What about proactive prayers? That, that there'd be something built in us or prepared in us or equipped in us so that when things come, there's stuff in us that God's wired in, built in, matured in, so that we are the kinds of people when a storm hits, like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that we can stand because the work that's been done on the inside that's been built. Because if you wait till the storm hits to start building, it's too late. Paul is praying practical, proactive prayers. More like this, God, this world is messed up, so I need you to equip me to bring your kingdom here as it is in heaven. Get the difference? God, something happened, so I need you to fix it, versus God, there's stuff going on all over the place, and I need you to make me ready so that I can handle every opportunity you've put in front of me to be your light in a dark world. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard about it, right, uh, referencing back to the point where the gospel came to them and they came to life and there was a regeneration in their spirit and, and through Christ they are now new people and they're walking in light. And not only that, but their faith in Jesus increases, their love for each other increases. Since the day we heard about it, we have not ceased praying for you and asked that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
uh, filled with the knowledge of his will. I love Warren Wearsby says this, is it's the same image or it's the same language that was used uh, in the same time in the same language uh, when people were filling up uh, uh, ships uh, to go on long voyages. The idea being that you are putting everything in there that they will need to get where they're going. So this word filled is the idea uh, that we, we have the fuel we need to go where we need to go. But the fuel we need is to know what God wants. Have you ever heard the phrase, everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten? If you eat at Jimmy John's long enough, you'll see the poster on the wall, right? Uh, this idea that, you know, there's just ba- shapes and numbers, colors, how to be nice, standing in line, don't pick your nose. You know, like these are, these are basic things. And, and as long as you know that, you're fine. That's cute, but it's not true. We need a continual equipping of knowing what God wants. Uh, when I was in uh, uh, Bible college, I had a professor uh, who had two doctoral degrees, which I didn't even think was humanly wanted, to be honest. But um, one was in a, la- a language that's originally written in one verse of the Bible, so a whole doctoral program on that. Whoo! Uh, and yeah, so just brilliant, really smart. And, and I remember him, you know, I, and I was like 21 years old, and I got up to preach, and he's sitting in the second row with a notepad and a pen taking notes on what I'm about to say. And I remember thinking, this is he's going to be sorely disappointed. But then I watched him every time he was in a learning environment, whether it was somebody lecturing in a class, whether it was somebody talking to him at a lunch table, whether it was a sermon, he always had a notepad. And he remember, I remember him saying this. He's like, I've got an entire doctoral program in Hebrew. And he said, I feel like I'm just learning how to like spell God's name. And he had this in him as this, this innate thing that just said, I, I'm so far back here to where God is, I've always got more to learn. And there's a thing in us that needs to be reminded, we've not arrived. We're we're not here. What we think we know is just what we think we know. Can we surrender and say, God, would you teach me more? Would you show me more? God, would you lead me more? Because sometimes we stop asking him to lead us and we'll buy a book at Barnes and Noble and let that theologian lead us or let someone's interpretation lead us rather than letting the spirit of God lead us. There are things you need today that require a filling with knowledge of what God wants. And it seems that Paul is implying that we aren't naturally filled with knowing God's will. It seems he's saying that we need to be filled because we're not currently self-filling. It's a filling or an equipping that has to be done to us by an outside source. You can't do this on your own. We need the Spirit of God to give us wisdom and understanding so we can be filled with the knowledge of His will. We need to know what God wants, amen? Not what we assume God wants, but what we are certain that God wants. No one needs a new spiritual fad or a deeper focus on ourselves. We need to be continually redeemed back to God. He asks for wisdom, and not our own wisdom, but spiritual wisdom. The idea of spiritual equipped wisdom outside of the natural world. We, we need God and a divine wisdom to come bring it to us that continually guides us to align our lives to his purposes and his plans and his desires. He also prays that we need understanding. 
This idea that maybe we don't see it clearly on our own. Maybe our current perspective isn't the full one. Reminds us of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not or don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. In a world where we think we've got to have it all figured out or it doesn't work, we need to be reminded of the wisdom of Proverbs that, well, if you've got it all figured out, that means you don't have it figured out. Because your understanding needs to be submitted. What you need is the Lord's understanding. We have to stop hoping people will understand on their own when we're talking about people we're praying for. Stop hoping that they're just going to figure it out or that they're just going to get it or that in self-will they'll pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Rather, start praying for the understanding that comes through the Spirit. Pray that God, through his wisdom and his knowledge, would make his will known to them. So the what? What are we praying for? To be filled with the knowledge of God's will. How are we praying for it? that the Spirit giving wisdom and understanding. And then verse 10 tells us why we're praying for it. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Man, if you had four New Year's resolutions this year, this verse would be a good one to go for. Right? In a year from now, what would the version of you look like that is walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, that is pleasing him in every respect, that is bearing fruit in every good work, that is increasing in the knowledge of God. The word worship in English is a word we get from an old English word that just means worship. The idea that it's uh, worth it, it's worthy. So when we worship God, we just give him worth, we give him value. We, not that he uh, intrinsically needs it, but there's something in us that needs to take what we think is valuable and, and surrender it and give it back to God. God, you are the one that's worthy. And so we worship in that way. When we sing, it, it just in case you were unaware, it's not reading lines on a screen or in a book to a certain melody. When we worship, it is surrendering those thoughts and those realities to King Jesus and, and surrendering that to God, that he is worthy because of his faithfulness. He is worthy because of what he's done. He's worthy because of who he is. And so in this verse 10, when he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, is that we are walking in worship. That the way we live, the way we walk is worship to him. It's not an hour and a half on Sunday mornings if you woke up in time. What worship is, it is, it is the lifestyle of someone who's filled with the knowledge of God's will through spiritual understanding and spiritual wisdom so that we can walk in a kind of way that worships God. When we are filled with the knowledge of his will, then we will live life and worship to him. When the Spirit of God is flooding your life with wisdom and understanding and you are filled with the knowledge of God's will, then you will start approaching every person, every comment, every situation, knowing what he wants, walking in a lifestyle worthy, worshiping God, pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in how we know God. The more you know God, the more you trust him with more of you. 
And the deeper your understanding of who God is, the more you start surrendering more of who you are because you start realizing God's way just seems to work. Have you ever been embarrassed by how often that realization comes? It's God breathed. It's useful for, you know, like, yes. But the more you know of God, the more you trust in him, the more you place more of yourself in him, and the more he gives you more so that you can give more to have more. God determines the finish line that we're running towards, and we give everything we have to get there. Uh, Would you pray over yourself things like this? God, fill me with the knowledge of your will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that I would live out my life worthy of Jesus and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every work I do and growing in my knowledge of you. God, would you do that for me? And for the people around you following Jesus, would you pray for them? Instead of complaining or getting frustrated by their behavior, why don't you start praying for their spiritual transformation? that the Spirit would fill them with the knowledge of God's will. Uh, their, their issue, right, may not be what you think it is. The issue may be the lack of the Lord that's in them. Would you pray for that? Second thing I want us to look at is this. Pray for that the people around you would be strengthened beyond their limits. Uh, have you ever seen this bumper sticker? If you could throw that one up there. Right? People ask, uh, do I really need Jesus to go to heaven? Bro, you need Jesus just to go to Walmart. (laughs) Right? Do you really need Jesus? I would like to know what you don't need Jesus for. Right? Yes. Yes, you do need Jesus to get to heaven because I need him to get through a a Monday. And I need him to help me be a better husband and a better dad and a better uh, person at what I do. I need him to help me be a better uh, co-laborer in the work of ministry. I need him to help me be a better brother uh, to my Christian family. I need, yes, I need him. Because on my own, I can't do it. Because on my own strength, it's not good. But on his strength is the only way I'm going to get there. You have your limits, we all do, but the power of God is the only strength that will get you where he wants you. Colossians chapter 111, uh, Paul began, or continues in prayer saying, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all perseverance and patience. Right? Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Gives me that Star Wars reference, right? Where Luke Skywalker says, I'll try, and Yoda says what? Do or do not, there is no try, right? And here's what I know. I, I've, people have asked me, hey, Don, can you do this for me? And it's like, oh, I don't think that's my thing. I don't think I'm able. I don't think, I don't think that's my, right? And so I'll answer, well, I'll try, Here's the reality. People don't need us to try. They need us to be strengthened with power beyond ourselves so that, that by, the, by the power of the might of God Almighty can we accomplish the things that he's called us to. It's both humbling and powerful when you realize how much you can't do. It's both humbling and powerful when you realize how much you cannot do. Because I start realizing, oh man, I think I can do everything. And you start realizing you can't. You remember being young and thought you were like invincible? I remember jumping off roofs 
And now all I can think of is the ice I would have to put on my knees for the weeks that follow and the broken ribs I would sustain, right? They're like the idea that like, I think, if, I think I can figure out flying. I know no one's done it before, but I got this, right? And so uh, there's a youthfulness that just says I'm indestructible. And then as you get older, you start realizing there's a lot of limits here. It's humbling when you realize what you can't do. But it's also powerful because it's in our weakness that he's made strong. When we know what we can't do, we know what we need God to do. And when he does it, we know who did it. You will walk through seasons and situations that you are not able to handle alone. Some of you are in seasons and situations that you are not equipped on your own natural ability to handle by yourself. There are believers you know around you in seasons and situations that are beyond their limits. Pray for them. Pray for them. One of my least favorite things is those moments where I realize somebody's hurting and I can't do anything about it, and the only thing I've got is prayer. Because those moments turn into that moment where I realize the absolutely most powerful thing I can do for that person is not something by my strength that would appear helpful, but it's to pray for them that beyond what I'm able to do, God would do immeasurably more that I could ask for imagine. That prayer is the work, it is the thing we do because we do love and we do care. Pray that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. If your source of strength or power has you in the center of it, don't be surprised when it is not enough. You aren't that powerful to strengthen yourself with what you need. You were created to need God's strength to move forward. So what are we praying for? To be strengthened. How's it going to happen? With power beyond what you're capable of, the necessity of God's power in your life. Why is it happening? In this verse, it says, so that you can have great perseverance and patience. Does anybody in this room need greater perseverance and patience? Just making sure I'm in the right place. I didn't want to be somewhere I don't belong, right? Man, if, if I could get a double portion of anything, perseverance and patience would be great. And lottery tickets, but you know, whatever. No, I'm kidding, right? Perseverance and patience. God, would you, would you give me more? Would you grow me? Would you mature me? God, would you strengthen me? Perseverance is this idea of not to be removed from a situation, but to make it through a season or a situation. God, I don't want to just make it through. I want to mature my way through. This isn't about getting, uh, gritting your teeth and bearing it. Perseverance is about waiting expectantly. It's about hope. Knowing that at the end of it, there's a story you'll be able to tell of God's goodness that carried you through a storm. And impatience. This moment we stop working to ensure that everything goes the way that you want it. Isn't that hard to let go of? We stop trying to make everything go the way we want it. Patience is when we release the control of the timing and the outcome to God. Patience only happens when you let go. It's not waiting, it's releasing. Literally, that word patience is long temper, is how it translates, or long suffering, uh, you may know it. It's a fruit of the Spirit. 
It's the idea of self-restraint. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. The inability to control ourselves or when self-control is lacking, it's like the walls are broken down. And you know this, where you don't have self-control is where the enemy storms the gates. But what we find that Paul is praying for the church is that they would be strengthened in their patience and then their perseverance, that in them is the kind of control that doesn't let them get ahead of God or figure out a plan that's outside of God, but that it waits expectantly on the Lord. Sometimes we need to pray, God, give me the ability to say nothing. Give me the ability to do nothing. It's in your hands, and I submit to your ways, your timing, and your outcome. When we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, oftentimes we think of the powerful experiences in the Bible of the Red Sea splitting or uh, Pentecost. Uh, too often we equate the power of God to the awesomeness of an experience, but here what Paul's praying for is that the Spirit's work is at work not in an experience, but in building our character. That it's not just about this powerful moment where the, the, the room shakes and the gates open. We read that. But there's also a strength of the Spirit when it comes in and transforms who we are. There's fruit that happens where, where we used to not be loving, now we're loving. Where there used to not be kindness, now there's kindness. Get what I'm saying? And so in this, what he's praying for, if all you're looking for is a powerful church experience, prayer experience, or worship experience, here's the hard reality. All it takes for those things to happen is money and talent. Churches can pay for those experiences, and they can give them to you. But something we need isn't that. We need the Spirit of God. And it can't be bought or purchased. It can try to be fabricated. But the right chord on a keyboard isn't going to give you what the Spirit of God can give you. And what makes it easier is that it doesn't have to be your talent or money. You can be a spectator and receive. That's not power. That's comfort. That's finding what you like. The costly work is to surrender yourself to God, to be filled by the Spirit and begin strengthening your soul, that he would strengthen your soul. Here's where power looks like. It looks like forgiveness. That's a powerful Holy Spirit experience. When the Holy Spirit moves in power, it looks like love where there's normally hate. It looks like patience. When you can't sit still, it looks like kindness when that's not your default. It looks like serving others when you've lived a life of self-serving. As we're praying for other people, I'd love to encourage us this way. The people in your life don't need to get it together. They need to get it from God. Are we praying for the people in our lives that God would show up in his power, in his strength, in his might, that the Spirit would move in them. For your children, are you praying that the power of the Spirit of God would show up in his power, in his strength, in his might, or are we praying for behavioral changes? You get the difference? Pray for the people around you that we would be strengthened by God according to his power, not our own so that they could live in supernatural perseverance and patience not anger and anxiety. The last one is this. Pray that the people around you will be brought to joyful thanksgiving. I don't know if you've taken the joy temperature of culture lately, 
because the church culture isn't much different than the non-church culture, joyful thanksgiving isn't exactly what we're known for. Outrage and being cranky seems to be a little bit of what we have going on. And all the people said amen. Here's the reality. Nothing drives me up the wall like someone who critiques everything. Like gnaws at my soul. Here's where it gets to. It gets to the point where I start critiquing the people who are critiquing everything. I start complaining about the complainers. And guess what? That's how we become complainers. Right? I've got every I dot issue figured out, right? I've complained about all of them. I know how to fix 55. I know how to get traffic patterns figured out. I know which lights should go faster and they don't, right? No one's asked me, but I got it figured out. Why? Because I've critiqued all of it. And in the same way, we can have that same thought and we can look at everything that's not happening rather than looking at everything that has already happened and that is happening. We have to pay close attention to the way we think about, feel about, pray about, and very importantly, talk about our complaints, annoyances, and and cynicism. A lot of us have become people that we did not mean to become Because when things didn't go the way we think they should, all we do is get bitter, nasty, and cranky. But listen to Paul, who's in a prison cell, because he preached the gospel too much. My guess is for you and I, if we end up in a prison cell, it'll be for wildly different reasons. Because the way he followed King Jesus was so against the grain of culture. The way he talked about Jesus was so confronting uh, governmental authority powers that they threw him in jail for it. And from a prison cell, he's praying that the church out there would have this, in verse 11, that they would joyously giving thanks to the Father joyfully giving thanks to the Father. I I have no clue for a lot of you what situation you're in. Some of you I do know. The reality for all of us is this, though, is no matter where we are, we've got reason to still be joyful because we have hope. We have a reason to be joyfully thankful to the Father I'm convinced that what we need is less outrage and more thanksgiving. He's not suggesting an annual moment to be vaguely thankful, but a continual intentional decision to live practical, generous, joyful thanksgiving. A few worries or stressors will rob you of the abundance of blessing that you have already to be thankful for. So again, the what? That that we'd be giving joy-filled thanks. How? To the Father in prayer. And here's why, in verse 12, because he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Ephesians 5 reminds us, Joel reminded us last, uh, our candlelight service, Paul's words to the church in Ephesus, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. Because of what God's done, would you walk different? Not like everyone in darkness, you walk different because you used to be there, but now you're different. Uh, Be holy as your God is holy. Walk differently, set apart. Why should we give thanks? Because when you weren't good enough to get in, God was good enough to come down. 
Without Christ, you have no qualification to get in, but through Christ, he has sufficiently made a way. It is when you feel like there's no way you belong anywhere near God that he says you are qualified, you are holy, you belong in his kingdom. In verse 13, he says, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You've got something to be thankful for. You've got something joyfully to give God praise for. Why should we be brought to joyful thanksgiving? Because you've been rescued. You're not who you used to be, and you're not where you used to be. You may not be where you want to be, but he's never left you, and he's never forsaken you. Out of the world of darkness, where you were just struggling to make it, to being redeemed, forgiven, kingdom citizens... You need to be brought to joyful thanksgiving because you need reminded in the midst of all you wish was different of what he's already done and what he's still doing. Joyful, thankful reminders that you've been redeemed, forgiven, and adopted. Would you pray that the followers of Jesus around you would be joyfully thankful for a reminder of how good God's been? In some of the darkest moments of people's life, would you, would you be the one that reminds them that there's still reason to have hope and there's still reason to have joy? I love, some of you know the preacher turned uh, leadership guru guy, John Maxwell. Uh, one of his uh, things he tells people is when they're uh, kind of walking through their hard stuff, he says, I just wish I could give you my joy. Right, the idea. I've been there too. I've walked and I've struggled. I go through this, but I wish I wish I could give you what God's given me. I wish I could hand what God's done in me to you. Do we have joy to give to people, or wish we could give to people? Would you remind them of the life they now live because Jesus' death granted their forgiveness and redemption out of darkness and into His life? If I could ask you to be praying over a couple things, it would be this. Right. So, kind of the. So what? Would you pray this over the people on your list? Would you pray that, that, that they would receive this power from the Spirit? Would you pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of God, that it would come through the Holy Spirit's wisdom and understanding? Would you pray that they would get that? Would you pray that they'd be filled with joyful thanksgiving because of the redemption they've got in Christ Jesus? And if they don't have that redemption yet, would you pray that they get it so they know how good it is, so that their faith grows and their love for people expounds, and you can thank them for what uh, they're growing in and just pointing out the areas, not that they need to, uh, that, that, that they're still not there at, but the areas where God has carried them and walked with them. Would you be that encourager? Would you plan next week to start with us 28, or sorry, 21 days of, of prayer. Uh, this week, would you be making lists of things that you need to be praying for, breakthroughs that you would like to happen, people in your life that you wish would come to know the Lord, things in your life that you want God to move in? Would you make those lists to realign all the scattered parts of our life back to Jesus, his kingdom and his righteousness? What I'm asking us to do is that we would begin our new year in prayer by putting your life in alignment with God's kingdom and his will. Monday through Thursday in this room, starting on January 8th, uh, this will be a prayer room. We will have kind of prayer stations set up or there'll be chairs if you just need to come sit in quiet. 
for you just to be in the presence of the Lord. Every Friday night, this room will be filled with prayer and worship. And I'll let you know this, whatever plans you have for Friday aren't as good as what what it is just to be in the presence of God. It doesn't mean you can't do it from your couch, but, but would we make these three weeks separate? Would you make an effort and a plan? For some of you, the idea that on a Friday night you'd be at church praying and worshiping is so radically different from where you've been in your life that you already know you got a testimony to share. Would you be here? Would you separate that time and say, God, that's, that's yours, that's the Lord's time. That's for him. As we sing this next song, would you join us starting a week from tomorrow in committing for 21 days to be praying for each other, ourselves, our family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, issues in your community, things going on in the city around us, uh, that, that you would ask God to move in powerful ways. Would you adjust yourself from sitting back and spectating and criticizing to stepping in and interceding and expecting that God would do something more than we could ever ask or imagine. Would you stand and pray? Father, as we sing, Father, would you move in us that we would be, Father, would you fill us with the knowledge of your will? God, would we live a life that operates off of knowing what you want? Father, would you do that as the Spirit gives us your wisdom and your understanding, that we wouldn't be operating from our perspective but yours? God, would we in turn then live a life that's worthy of Christ? Father, would we please you in every way? Would we bear fruit in everything that we do? Father, would we do all this as we joyfully give thanks? Because God, if, if, if the only other prayer request you answer for us is that our lives were redeemed out of our sin so that we could stand in your presence, saved, transformed, redeemed, God, that would be enough. But God, you do ask us to keep praying. You ask us to bring everything before you. You ask us and invite us to bring everything that's going on to you. Because if not, we'll do something else with it. God, we want everything we are to be aligned with you. So Father, would you receive that from us? And would we joyfully give thanks for everything you've already done, that you're currently doing, and that you will be doing in Jesus' name. Amen.